Amen. Thank you, David and Paulette. Aren't we thankful that Emmanuel did come? God is with us. You have your Bible this morning, open up again to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 1. Today's message is a message that will be no doubt applicable to everyone here. Because the subject at hand that we're going to be addressing is how you think about circumstances in your life. And as we all live life, we all face circumstances. That is, things happen to us. Things come our way. Some of them are good, and some of them are bad. And what we need to learn this morning, and, or be reminded of, as we're going to look this morning at verses 12 through 14, is that there is a right way to view our circumstances according to God's Word. And yet, quite often, there are wrong ways that we tend to look at God's Word. Look when we get to the beginning in verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now as we look at these three verses this morning, we're going to notice two things that aren't there that are typical of people when they view their circumstances. The first thing you're going to notice that's not there is that Paul didn't view his circumstances necessarily as a road sign for his life. That is... Quite often, beloved, we tend to make decisions somehow looking at circumstances as the road sign, as the indicator that this is what it is that God would want us to do. We come to conclusions about circumstances and somehow we see those as divine messages. And I want to encourage you to move away from that practice if that is something that you do. Because just look at these examples. If you were to turn over in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, you would find there where Paul is in Malta. And if you recall, when he's there in Malta, they're gathered around a fire and a snake bites him. And here was the conclusion of that circumstance, of that situation. The crowd that was gathered around him, they first, when they saw that he was bitten by a snake, they said their conclusion was, their interpretation of that event was, he's a murderer. And because he's a murderer, God has made sure he was bitten by a snake and now he's going to die. But Paul shakes off the snake. He's sitting there and they're waiting for him to begin to swell up and die and they notice he's not dying. And so they go from the conclusion of he's a murderer to he's a God. And now they're wanting to worship him. This is the same event that they are both, they're trying to interpret. They interpret it in two different ways. And guess what? Both interpretations were wrong. Or you could go over and look at the whole book of Job. If you remember Job, the tragic events in his life, Job is a man who lost all of his children. He basically lost all of his possessions. 
He was a man sitting there. His wife had, had in some sense, spiritually had turned on him. Uh, He had poor health. And he has three friends that show up on the scene to come comfort him. And if you read through the book of Job, you'll notice that for nine chapters, these three friends attempted to interpret the circumstances of Job. And for all nine chapters, they got it wrong. They thought they knew what it was that God was trying to say through the circumstances that had come upon Job. And they had no clue. You can think of a good example when you say, well, how do, we, how do we approach things when they happen? Well, we need to have more of the mindset that the Apostle Paul had. If you were to look over in the book of Philemon, in Philemon verses 15 and 16, you remember the story there? Philemon is the letter that, that Paul is writing. He's writing it to a man by the name of Philemon, and he had a slave by the name of Onesimus, and Onesimus had escaped from him. He had run away from Philemon. But when he ran away from Philemon, he happened to come across the path of the Apostle Paul. And when he came across the path of the Apostle Paul, Paul explained the gospel to him and Onesimus got saved. And Paul is now sending Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right. And he says in verse 15 and 16, perhaps Philemon, perhaps, he doesn't know this, but perhaps he was separated from you so that now that he comes back to you, he doesn't just come back to you as a slave, he comes back to you as a brother in Christ, someone who is way more useful to you and to me than he was beforehand. But notice Paul there, he says, perhaps. He doesn't really know for sure. Quite often how we look at these things is we look in the context of open doors, closed doors, And when we think about open doors, beloved, and you'll see we've been talking about that even on Wednesday nights of praying for open doors for the for the gospel, for the word of God. And that's typically how that phrase and that word is even used there. When it speaks about open doors, it's really talking about just opportunities. When you see the phrase and think about open door, just think opportunity. It's an opportunity for the gospel. But when you think about that, we tend to If you hear the words open doors, you tend to see, well, that must be God has opened the door, thus we are to step into that. But that's not necessarily the case. In fact, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says there was an open door for the gospel that God had provided him there in Troas, but he didn't stay in it. He left it. Because he was so burdened about some other things that to him were more important than what was going on there. Though there was an opportunity that had been provided him and his team to proclaim the gospel. Some of them may have stayed, but Paul says, I had to take leave of them. I had to get on to Macedonia because I hadn't heard about some things that were going on. And I needed to get there and find out. Or, beloved, if you go to the book of Romans in chapter 1, you'll find there where Paul, in some sense, is speaking about a closed door. That is, he had been trying to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to come to the Christians there in Rome. And he had been asking God for that. He'd been planning for that, trying to get there. But he had been prevented thus far. But Paul didn't look at that closed door at that point as somehow that was God telling him that that was something wrong for him to want to do. And in fact, we know that ultimately Paul did get to Rome. Where is Paul writing this letter from? He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi from Rome. 
Now, he didn't get there the way he thought he would get there. He got there as a prisoner. But he did finally make his way to Rome. So I just want us to think about it. This is what we're going to be looking at is Paul's circumstances. That Paul wasn't necessarily viewing his circumstances. It's when the opener closed or, or looking at everything and saying this is some kind of a road sign that God was providing him. Secondly, beloved, you're, not, you're going to notice something also very carefully here with Paul. And that is he did not view his circumstances from the standpoint of being a victim. That he, he was not a victim of his circumstances. That's not the way he saw life. That attitude of seeing ourselves as victim of circumstances is a manifestation of a, of a lack of trust in God. And it will oftentimes and not always display itself, demonstrate itself in our complaining about our circumstances. What we all have to recognize is that God is in control. He knows our life. He knows what is ahead for us. He's in charge doing things that beyond anything we will ever fully comprehend or know. You go back to the story of Job. Job never fully comprehended all of what was going on. There was something bigger going on around Job that involved Job that guess what? God never let Job in on it. Job never really knew what all was taking place. And Paul understood that as well. And he knew that God knows every detail of his life and what he is facing right then and there and what he would face in the future. You say, well then how, how should I view my circumstances? That is, how should I view the things, how should I view my life, where I live right now, what the situation I'm in, what I'm facing, what I'm going through, uh, where I've been, how am I supposed to view all those things? Beloved, as we go through these three verses, the way we should view our circumstances is to see them as an opportunity for the gospel. See them from the standpoint of the gospel, the things that happen in our life, the things in the place where we find ourselves in life. See those as opportunities for the gospel. Because, beloved, if anyone had any reason to consider themselves a victim of circumstances, it would have been the Apostle Paul. If anyone should have been bitter, discontent, discouraged, even depressed, it should have been the Apostle Paul. This is a man who is in prison. And he started, he, his path to this imprisonment started with some false accusations, some trumped up charges that were brought against him by his own people that led also to him almost being killed by a mob that was trying to lynch him there on the spot. This is a man that was about to be flogged by the Romans until he had it to say, would you actually do that to one of your own citizens? This is a man that had to suffer insults and shame unjustly that came his way. He is a man that had, during this trial, what he was facing, had people plotting to take his own life. He is a man that has remained in jail, one, because one of the leaders that could have let him go wouldn't because he wanted to curry favor with the Jewish people. Another one who could have let him go would have let him go if Paul would have stood up and said, here, I'll give you some money. If he would have taken the bribe, he would have let Paul go. But Paul wouldn't do any of that. He's a man that was shipwrecked at sea. 
And he's a man who's had to suffer under the wheels of justice moving very slowly. Because he's been in Rome and he's been in prison while he's writing this letter for at least two years. He's been in prison for two years. And yet, not only that, as we're going to find out as we go further in chapter 1, he's also having to deal with some uh, fellow believers that are envious of him and trying to cause him problems while he's in jail. And yet Paul wanted the church at Philippi to know about his circumstances and how he was viewing them, how he was handling them. And you can understand that as we look in verse 12 where he says, I want you to know, brethren, he recognized the Philippians hearing about his imprisonment, hearing about his circumstances, that he's been in jail for over two years, that they would be concerned about him, but even more importantly, they would have been concerned about the ministry of the gospel, about the gospel itself, about the cause of Christ that Paul was leading the charge about. What's happening, Paul? What's going on? And Paul wants them to know, he wants them to understand that the things that have come his way have not been a hindrance to the gospel. But as he says there in verse 12, and look at it again, my circumstances have turned out rather for the progress of the gospel. It hasn't turned out necessarily better for Paul personally, but it has turned out better for the gospel. And this is to be the testimony of all of us. That it is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. It's not about my comforts in life. It's not about everything going well for me in life. It's about the gospel. That's why Paul could think the way he did. He understood that being true to the gospel sometimes can cause discomfort, even loneliness in your life. But you stay true to the gospel. Paul wanted them to know as we look here in verse 12 that the gospel had not been hindered. It had not been stopped from moving forward. Look back at verse 12. He says the greater progress of the gospel. That idea there of progress is an idea of advancing and advancing in the face of obstacles. Advancing in the face of resistance. It's like someone going in front and knocking down the trees, clearing out the path. He's saying, look, the gospel just kept moving forward like a freight train. It just kept going. And God's not going to allow the gospel to be stopped if we just stay faithful to the gospel. And this is what he's wanting them to see, that the gospel had continued to move forward. That's why, beloved, Paul could say over in verse 18 that he rejoices. He's in prison, and yet he's rejoicing because he knows that the gospel is continuing to move forward. It is advancing. You say, well, how is it advancing? Well, look again back in verses 13 and 14. It was advancing in two ways. It was advancing, one, by souls being saved, and secondly, by saints being strengthened. Souls were being saved, and saints were being strengthened. Look again at the souls that were being saved. He says there in verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ 
has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. This is how the gospel had advanced. It had provided him, and listen carefully to this, it had provided him the opportunity to share the gospel with some people that he never ever would have been given the opportunity to share the gospel with them. He is now, if you want to say, in some of your translations, in the palace. That is, he's there where the guards were that guarded the emperor. Paul's in prison. And a part of that imprisonment was he was chained to a guard 24 hours a day. In fact, just for a moment, if you will, look over again in the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 28. Go to Acts chapter 28. In Acts 28 and verse 16, this is where Paul finally enters Rome. And he's entering Rome as a prisoner. And he was allowed to stay by himself, in verse 16, with a soldier who was guarding him. And when he says a soldier was guarding him, he wasn't just standing at the door. This is a soldier that is chained to him. They had, they had shifts, six-hour shifts. So Paul had four different soldiers every day. And when we're talking about chained to him, we're talking about at no more than about 18 inches apart. So he has a man living with him every single moment of every day for over two years. This guard for six hours had to sit there by the Apostle Paul, had to stand there with the Apostle Paul, or really the Apostle Paul had to stand with him and had to sit with him. And what he's saying back in Philippians 1 is, is that the gospel got to advance through my circumstances because I was placed here in Rome and I'm in the palace and I'm with the guards and guess what? I'm telling them about Jesus. I'm proclaiming Jesus to them, the whole praetorian God. This is thousands of men have now come to hear the gospel because Paul was in prison. So Paul says, if you ask me about what happened to me, I can tell you the gospel advanced and because of that, I can rejoice. I am rejoicing because God provided me an opportunity to share the gospel with some people that most likely no one else would have had that opportunity. Think about that. For over two years, Paul's been living his life before these men. Sharing the gospel with them. And no doubt, they're sitting there with a man and they're hearing something different coming out of his mouth than any other prisoner that they guard. Not only are they hearing the good news of salvation, they're getting to see his life, how he lives 24 hours a day. And he lives what he preaches. He lives it. They know, actually, that Paul's there and he shouldn't be there. They know the story. They know Paul hasn't really done anything that deserves to be in jail. And yet, they're not hearing Paul having a pity party about his life. They're not hearing Paul complaining that life has been unfair, that he shouldn't be here, he shouldn't be facing these things, he hasn't done anything wrong. They haven't heard any of that from Paul. All they've heard from Paul is, God's in control. I love Christ. I'm following Christ. I'm with Christ. You need Christ. You need to come to Christ. His message, beloved, his attitudes, his actions for all those years 
He was living it out before them. Love, here's something very important to understand. Notice, let's go back to Philippians 1. Notice Paul describes his imprisonment as imprisonment in the cause of Christ. That he was, he was a prisoner of Christ. He saw his life in light of Christ. And Paul knew this. He knew that the gospel would not be chained. The cause of Christ would not be chained by him being in prison. The only way, and listen carefully, the only way the gospel is ever going to be chained or imprisoned is when we choose not to speak. When we say we won't tell other people about Jesus, we're the ones chaining the gospel. In fact, if you will, look over in 2 Timothy for a moment. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice what Paul says here to Timothy. Verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, Descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Though Paul was imprisoned, the word of God wasn't imprisoned. And the reason why the word of God wasn't imprisoned is because Paul was telling people about Jesus and he was proclaiming the word of God while he was in prison. For this reason, he says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Jesus Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul knew if God has me in prison, then he wants me to be evangelizing here. There are some people God wants to save here in this prison. It may be some other prisoners. It may be some guards. Whoever it may be that's going to be around me, I have no idea who it is that's going to come to Christ. But I know if God has me here, he wants the gospel to advance. So I'm just going to be faithful to not imprison the word of God and just tell people about Jesus. And beloved, that's how we have to see our lives as well. Notice... Go back to Philippians 1. Paul, it says, he says that what has happened to him has become well known throughout the whole guard. And we know that some of the people there got saved. He said, well, how do you know that? Well, look over in Philippians chapter 4. As he's closing his letter... Verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There were saints now in the household of Caesar because that's where Paul's been. And Paul's been proclaiming the gospel. They've been hearing about his story and about what had happened to him and how he's handling that and what he's telling them, what he's saying to them about Jesus. And he says, Some of those greet you as well. Paul could rejoice He viewed his circumstances from the standpoint of the gospel because souls were being saved, not just there in the guard, in the palace, but also, as he goes on to say back in chapter 1, verse 13, and to everyone else. If you were to go back over to Acts chapter 28, you would find that 
Paul, though he was in prison and he was chained to a guard, and that guard was with a guard was with him 24 hours a day, it also says that he was able to stay in in this place and where he was allowed to stay, he was allowed visitors. And so people from the community were able to come into Paul. And for two years at least, they're coming into Paul, and Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God to them. Paul is proclaiming the gospel to them. He's telling them about Jesus and their need of Christ. And guess what? Some of them are getting saved as well. So Paul is saying, look, the gospel didn't stop. I'm in prison, but I kept preaching it. And God kept saving people to everyone else, other people in that household, and those that were coming from outside that were living in Rome were hearing the gospel. So Paul was saying the gospel was advancing because these souls were being saved. But notice also, <coughs> saints were being strengthened. Saints were being strengthened because of what was happening with Paul. And understand again, that's how the gospel, when we think about the gospel and the gospel advancing, it does advance through the proclamation of the gospel, souls being saved, and through saints, believers, being strengthened in their faith. Notice in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting that his heart and strengthen the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Notice that. You would think it, it would have caused just the opposite. You would think that they would have said, this has cost Paul his freedom. He's in jail. If we keep talking, we may end up in jail as well. So let's just kind of back off this gospel a little bit. Let's back off talking about Jesus to people. Let's just kind of get quiet. Let's let some things calm down here. Let's see what happens to Paul first. Because remember now, at this point, it's still up in the air from our perspective, from man's perspective, whether or not Paul's going to be released or he's going to have his head put on the chopping block. And they don't know yet what's going to happen. But they didn't wait to see what was going to happen. When they saw what was happening to Paul and how Paul was handling this, and as these brethren got to go in and spend time with Paul, and Paul was still standing true to the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, standing true to the word of God, they walked out of those sessions with Paul and they were strengthened in the Lord because of that imprisonment. Thus, when they went out, they said, far be it from us to be quiet we have far more courage now to go out and speak the word of God and to do it without fear. That is to do it without being concerned. What's this going to cost me? Is this going to cost me my job? Is this going to cost me my life? I don't know. Is this going to cost me my freedom? They said, no, we're just going to go out and proclaim the word of God and do it without fear. And brother, this is something the church at Philippi needed to hear. Because if you go over to the last part of chapter 1 and verse 27, he tells them, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed, that is in no way fearful, frightened, 
by your opponents. The church at Philippi had opponents to the gospel. And they, they were trying to cause them problems as well there. And Paul knew that and he wanted to remind them, don't be alarmed by these opponents. It's a sign of destruction for them, but it's a sign of salvation for you. Because he goes on to say in verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him. And boy, we love that part of the verse. So thankful that for Christ's sake it's been granted for me to believe in him. But read the rest of the verse. But also to suffer. To suffer for his sake. That's been granted as well. But we can identify with these believers in Rome, we can identify with the believers in Philippi because we all can struggle with fear when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. But what God had done, he had used the Apostle Paul in the situation he found himself being in prison as an opportunity to strengthen these saints, to be an example for others, to go out and proclaim the gospel. And beloved, that's how we need to look at our lives as well and how we handle situations when they come our way. Am I going to be an example of encouraging others to stand for the gospel, to go out and proclaim the gospel without fear? You see, what Paul saw was through his circumstances, he saw more people hearing the gospel. He saw more people believing in the gospel. He saw more people willing to go out and share the gospel without fear. And for that, he could rejoice. Things weren't any better for him personally. As I said, things were still up in the air for him personally. But for Paul, he could rejoice because those things were happening and they were continuing to happen. And he could rejoice at that. So, beloved, as we think about this, just just take these lessons from Paul. The lesson of this, nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens in my life and your life by chance. The trials we face, God's in control. And oftentimes God is going to use those trials to to test our faith. To maybe expose that there's not real lasting saving faith or to refine our faith. But also... Learn the lesson from Paul here to see your circumstances as opportunities for the gospel. That is, see your home, see your family, see your friends, see your classmates as young people, see your teammates as young people, see the environment that you're in, see your neighbors, see your coworkers, see your community, where you live, where you exist. You see, you are... Typically, if you want to say the same as Paul, you're chained to a situation. That is, there is a certain sphere of life where you're going to live and you're going to operate. And guess what? You operate in a different sphere of life than I operate. Some of it overlaps, but some of it doesn't. And you're in those areas because that's where God has you. And as Paul says, and it's for opportunities of the gospel. You see, we're supposed to be different. And sadly, including myself, we're not always different. Too often we look and sound like the world. 
When circumstances come our way, when trials come our way, just when life comes our way, too often we sound like the world, we look like the world, we smell like the world, we're just like the world. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to respond differently. But that comes back to seeing it as from the standpoint of the gospel. Let your illness be for the gospel. Let your stays in the hospital be for the gospel. See everything as an opportunity for the gospel. So that souls can be saved, but also so saints can be strengthened. That the gospel can advance. But also remember this lesson as well, beloved. The only way the gospel was advancing through all these circumstances of Paul is because Paul was opening his mouth and proclaiming the gospel. He was telling people about Jesus. If Paul had chosen to say, you know what? I'm going to think about me right now. And it'd probably be best if I just remain quiet. It'd probably be best if I quit meeting with these other Christians because I don't know what that may stir up here in this community. I I just think I'm just going to remain quiet. And hopefully things will sort itself out. And when I get when I get released and I get back out and I get away from Rome, I'll start preaching the gospel again. Paul didn't see it that way. He saw his circumstance right then and there as an opportunity for the gospel. Recognize that how you handle life's situations, the circumstances, can be an encouragement to others. It can be an encouragement to others. Now, understand this. You want to know where this started with Paul? Paul had this mindset. This is where this started with him. Because he never got over being saved. He never got over it. He couldn't believe it. And you know how we know that? Just for a moment, before we close our time, go over to 1 Timothy Chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Well after Paul had been saved. Listen to what he says. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. Who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful. Putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer. And a persecutor. And a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love. Which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners among whom. I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life Paul was he just kept saying I just keep thanking Christ I can't believe I look back at my life and what I was I was a violent persecutor of the gospel I hated Christ I hated the church I hated the message of the gospel I hated I persecuted I was someone who was violent towards it I was willing to do anything to to wipe it off of the face of the earth but God was so patient with me and it was a it's a trustworthy statement it deserves full acceptance 
put your faith in Christ. Paul was just amazed that though he was the chief among sinners, God demonstrated his patience with him in saving him. Paul just couldn't get over the fact that God had saved him. His life was about Christ. His life was about the gospel. That's why it says over in 1 Corinthians 9 that Paul did everything. Okay, when he was a free man, he lived his life for the sake of the gospel. This just didn't start when he got in prison. This started once he got saved. His life was about the gospel. He says, look, I have freedoms in Christ. I will use them to see people coming to Christ. If I go among the Jews, I'm going to live like the Jews, not violating the word of God, because I want to see the Jews coming to Christ. When I lived among the Gentiles, I would live by the ways of the Gentiles that didn't violate the word of God, because I wanted to see them coming to Christ. It didn't matter to Paul. His whole life was about the gospel and people coming to Christ. So that now he's in prison, nothing changed. He just kept doing it. You see, this is where it has to start with us not us remembering the, the wonderful grace and salvation God has provided us and just living for the gospel. And then when those trials come, guess what? We'll just keep living for it. Facing those things. Well, if we would just live as Paul did. We will see life the way Paul saw life. It will see every circumstance as an opportunity for the gospel. Beloved, it will turn the spirit in which you live upside down. They will see there's something different. There's something different about us. And I would plead with us this morning, let's be that type of person. Let's be that kind of church that they hear and they see from us something different. That we are just on fire for the gospel. Our life is about Christ. But let me say this. You can't see your circumstances as an opportunity for the gospel until you have seen the need of the gospel because of your circumstance with God. What I'm saying is, you say, what's my circumstance with God? What I'm saying is naturally your circumstance with God is this. You are separated from God because of your sin. You are separated from God because of your sin. And here's your circumstance. Your circumstance is you are helpless and you are hopeless to do anything about it. That's your circumstance. You say, why am I helpless and am I hopeless? Two reasons. Number one, because of the very character and nature of who God is. Because God is holy, God is righteous, God is just, and God is perfect. And because God is all those things, and because you are a sinner, and because you're a sinner, you don't have the ability to change your life and reconcile yourself to God. And not only that, you don't even naturally have the desire to do it. That's your circumstance before God. You see, this is what Paul found out on that road to Damascus. When he was radically saved, his sins were forgiven, and he was reconciled to God and granted eternal life, he saw his situation for what it really was. Up until that point, he didn't see it. He had misdiagnosed his 
misinterpreted his situation, his understanding of God, until God opened his eyes on that day and he saw, oh God, you are a holy and just God and everything I'm trying to do to somehow reconcile myself to you is actually getting things worse for me. I am nowhere near, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, God, that I have no hope. But he didn't just see his circumstances. He also saw on that day, he saw that his hope, all the hope and all the help that he would need was already there for him in the person and the provision of Jesus Christ. It was all there. And it's all there for you if you see yourself the way you should see yourself and see yourself the way the Bible presents it as this helpless, hopeless sinner before a holy, righteous, just God that doesn't have the ability to do anything to make yourself right with God, doesn't he have the desire to make yourself right with God unless God does a work in your heart and beloved, but also see the beauty of Jesus, that Jesus has provided you the hope. He's provided you the help. How? By coming and taking on flesh, as we've been talking about this morning, reading from the Word of God in our Scripture reading and seeing how Jesus came and he took on flesh and in that doing that, he lived a life without sin so that righteousness that you need to be united with this perfect righteous God is provided for you and anyone through Christ and Christ alone your sins that you've committed that need to be forgiven that need to be wiped clean so that you can have a relationship with a holy God who is just has been taken care of solely exclusively only fully through Jesus Christ and his provision on the cross where he took our sins upon himself Everything has been provided through Christ and we know that it is satisfied because God raised him from the dead on the third day. And beloved, on that basis and on that understanding, you this morning need to cry to God. You need to come to Jesus this morning and in coming to him, you need to say, nothing in my hands I bring. Just simply to your cross, I'm going to cling. Will you do that this morning? Well, that's where it starts. See, that's where it started with Paul. That's where it has to start with you, with me, with everyone. There are no exemptions. There's no exemptions. But the good news is there's no exclusions. If you come to Christ that way, He receives you. He welcomes you. He forgives you. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.